Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Steph-O Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it's time for another edition of Sminty Book Club. And this is a special one uh, because it is a book we mentioned in one of our Women Around the World episodes uh, that we chose in honor of Earth Day because we thought of Leah Thomas's newly published book, The Intersectional Environmentalist. Uh, we thought it would be a perfect fit, and it was. It's it excellent. Is. Go look it up, read it. So good. Uh, it just came out in March 2022, and we couldn't wait to get our hands on it. We have a lot of ground to cover, so this one is going to be a two-parter. Two-parter. Yes. Mm-hmm. So be on the lookout for part two. But yeah, honestly, it's just truly inspiring. It's very thoughtful. It's very educational. It has a lot of resources, like yes. really helpful resources. I have discussion questions. I loved it. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's perfect. If you need something for a book club, this is it. This is what you need for a book club because it kind of lays it out for you. And it mm-hmm. has all of like addendums and added on, added ons, add-ons that you might even want for more resources. So it's beautiful. And not only that, one of the best things about this is it tells you who to follow and to see when it comes to mm-hmm. leading this movement. And I already, I, it was fantastic because I already followed a few people on TikTok uh, and it's Amazing. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about it later because I want to talk about this as a separate episode, but it really does a good job encountering what we are hearing of climate doom-ism, uh, I guess, that's happening a lot right now. And that is not the narrative we want to spread. We want to spread hope, but not only hope. We're not trying to be dismissive and say, oh, it's fine. No, we're talking about being active and not giving mm-hmm. up. And she does an amazing job and not only helping you to think this through and think of it on multi-levels, uh, but she, yeah, kind of how we've talked about when people do activism like this and talk about intersectionality, they have, she's done the labor. Yeah. Not that it's easy, but it's there and it's wide open and it's here for us to consume and really bring in. We love it. I love mm-hmm. this book. And it's so short. I was, I, was, I was surprised how short it was, but it's compacted with so much. Yes, so much is accomplished. <laughs> oh, yeah. So much. So we talked about Thomas's advocacy and activism and accomplishments in the episode we did, highlighting the work of some amazing Black women in the U.S. And she calls herself an eco-communicator and coined the term intersectional environmentalism on viral Instagram posts in 2020. And it has blown up, obviously, to do this book. And I really hope it makes it on the bestseller list because it deserves it. It absolutely does. Uh, Because yeah, it does, it covers a lot of ground, uh, providing history and context, uh, things like intersectionality, massage noir, uh, making space, which Thomas does an excellent job of in this work. Like there's little breakouts of asking people from different spaces about these issues. Um, Critical race theory, ecofeminism, history, environmental justice, interviews with other leaders in the movement, Privilege, food justice, food apartheid, eco-ableism, fashion, energy, veganism, with plenty of examples and data to back up her points. Um, Honestly, it was a real hard thing to just like not 
read the whole book <laughs> on air because <laughs> it's so useful. It's so good. Um, and it does have this kind of toolkit with resources. It also comes with interactive things like pledges and questions about how you personally can contribute to the movement in a meaningful way or just like asking yourself, I don't know, just like, okay, where am I in this? How can I help? Um, right. Which is, it's extremely useful. It opens with a foreword written by Gloria Walton, the president and CEO of the Solutions Project. Quote, My grandmother, a farmer and descendant of people enslaved in the United States, was one of my greatest teachers, instilling in me foundational values of dignity, community, and love. I remember walking with her as a small child and her saying with the sweetest Southern charm, walk in front of me, honey, put your head up, roll those shoulders back, swing those arms, smile, and walk with purpose, baby. And I did. She, alongside my mother and the matriarchs in her neighborhood, taught me that dignity comes from within, from the love I have for myself and my community. I was born into poverty, but I was raised by proud, resourceful Black women who took care of themselves, their people, and the land. I remember vividly how concepts like conservation and sustainable living were not theoretical to us, nor were they burdens to our way of life. They were how we got by, how we flowed in relationship to one another and our environment. We practiced the models that were passed down from generations before us, and we integrated our own experiences into lessons for the future. Right. And I do love how Thomas does weave in a lot of tradition with mm-hmm. what is needed today. And so she really brings it back because for me growing up in the South, uh, in a very country and rural area, this sounds familiar-ish in that we get passed down from that generation. Of course, I say familiar-ish because I am not from the Black community and was not raised by Black uh, people. But in general, just that layer of this is our land, we must take care of it. There was that pride in, in loving the land. And I think having that generational love takes on a lot. And when it comes to the BIPOC community, that is something that they bring in and that that's the layer that uh, has a deeper meaning that is so often ignored. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on uh, with another fantastic quote. Intersectionality is one of those breakthrough academic concepts, this one coined by the inimitable Kimberly Crenshaw, that for millions of people, including Black women like her and like me and Leah, is simply how we live, just as Kimberly Crenshaw's own lived experience gave rise to this foundational framework of critical race theory. Her story and scholarship have offered the world a glimpse into our daily reality, seeing how we as Black women can transmute terror and trauma into a vision for something beautiful, collective, and strong is what makes intersectionality so critical to solving the global climate crisis. It is also what makes critical race theory so scary to those clinging on to treacherous power. Because if we can create the future we want, despite the realities of not only racism, but also sexism, poverty, and other oppressive systems, imagine what all of us can do and be when those systems crumble and we are all free. Ugh. And we definitely talked about this in the conversation of intersectionality, that when Black women are free and actually cared for and loved, everyone has freedom and that it has to start there because that is where we downfall. Just because one system may be better doesn't mean it's better for everyone. And that means no one is free. Yeah. And I we've had so many discussions about all of this when it comes to the environment and how important it is and... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into these those issues throughout these uh, two part this two part book club <laughs> episode, but it's just so much like it's so much yeah. to unpack, and and this is all like we're still in the forward. Right, this is all Walton. in the forward, uh, yes. coming and talking about and celebrating Leah's book, uh, and mm-hmm. yes, I feel like. I don't think we can say this enough about how things like this, as we see it happening, the reason that I'm so excited that we're talking about this is because it isn't a release and we're not talking about it 20 years down the road uh, when we're fighting about something, about the same things. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, Kimberly Crenshaw, for the fight that you've had to do, even though you've already <laughs> had this fight 20 years ago. But, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. this, it's like we're actually here in the present and being able to celebrate it and and just being able to lift it up feeling mm-hmm. like we're contributing just a small bit in opening up the voices. So I get excited when I see things like this because I get so passionate about the things that people do and she's changing things. Oh my God, mm-hmm. I love it. 
Yes. Oh, I do too. I do too. We have one more quote from the Ford by Walton. Intersectional focus organizations working for climate equity and justice still receive less than 5% by the most generous accounting of the total $2.4 billion granted annually for the environment. Within that, an even smaller fraction goes to nonprofits led by Black people, Indigenous people, immigrants, and other people of color. Women of color receive just 0.6% of total philanthropic benefit in the United States across all issue areas, despite being the backbones of most communities. And yes, that is like the thesis statement of this, of why that is a huge problem, which it is, and why it's important that we change that. Mm-hmm. Very, very important. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. So, speaking of thesis statements, moving into the themes, one of the big themes that this book opens with is why an intersectional approach is critical to environmental protection and that discussion at large, um, quote, the earth shouldn't be taken for granted, nor should its people and the drivers of this exploitation. Greed, racism, capitalism, and other systems of oppression should be rejected and dismantled. If we combine social justice efforts with environmental awareness efforts, we will harness enough power, representation, and momentum to have a shot at protecting our planet and creating equity at the same time. So this is we're out of the Ford. These are Thomas's words. And again, like right away, she's she's hooking you. She's like, see, this right. is so important and here is why. Right. And she gives so many good examples as we get into it. But yeah, she does. She starts at the beginning of like, this is what it should be. And this is what we need to look mm-hmm. at. And this can't be forgotten. And that's mm-hmm. something that's so important. And and again, as a person who is not who has not grown up in a in a world where recycling and being environmentally cautious was advantageous or even able to like growing mm-hmm. in rural mountains of Georgia not having access to being able to recycle or understand that that's even accessible getting like having to pay to do any of these things as that was something that was like non-feasible it wasn't important in my life but because of that I really thought that was not necessary which again this is my own ignorance uh, but not didn't realize how necessary it was and how it does play when it comes to racial social and feminist justice like these are all things that do pile on each other she just says it at point blank like nah you you need to know this and this is why it's important so again Mm -hmm. like a few sentences but it already starts with like oh wow okay let's pay attention 
So moving mm-hmm. on with uh, Thomas's words. When I studied environmental science and policy as an undergrad at a predominantly white institution, or PWI, social issues were perpetually separated from environmentalism, sustainability, and conservation. Learning about environmental justice wasn't mandatory in my liberal arts education, nor did I ever have a professor who looked like me, a stark contrast to the equity and liberation-centered environment intertwined in curriculums at many historically black colleges and universities. And yeah, I think as a social worker, I don't think I had any of that. And for me, obviously, social justice, uh, social welfare was a huge part of why I wanted to be a social worker and advocacy. We never talked about environmental justice. And that's concerning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it just impacts so many it impacts so many aspects of all of our lives. Right. And it is something that is so, it can be such a privilege and you won't, if, if, if you're not talking about it, right. then maybe you can just surpass like, oh yeah, it's fine for me, but it's not fine for a lot of people. Right. And ultimately it's not fine for any of us because right. we're not talking about it. We're not talking about it in a way that is intersectional and that takes right. into account all of these things. And it's just, hugely important and I think it is a real big misstep in our education. Well, that's kind of that conversation about healthy eating, clean eating, all of these things. I was like, Mm -hmm. that's a really privileged conversation when we talk about it. But as a social worker, you know, our concern was, were they getting food? How are they getting food? We didn't care. But did we get reports from people when they weren't clean enough, when they weren't eating healthy enough, when they weren't wearing matching clothes? Yes, we did. And as in fact, like mislabeling that as poverty and not seeing it as an environmental crisis as well, like they weren't getting sustainable things or clean water as part of that. That is Mm -hmm. a huge misstep. And it's taking me like to this point of like, oh yeah, it's intersectional. We just labeled it one thing. But it's all mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. But yes, going back to her words, because y'all, again, this is, I, I had to do this as I was listening, reading. I'm like, eh, pause, what? Take a minute. <laughs> so many thoughts. Yeah. Applying it to myself. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. goes, as a black student in STEM, I had to search beyond the classroom to learn about the contributions of people of color to sustainability. And I had to conduct independent research projects to explore the social determinants that caused environmental injustice along racial, class, and gender lines. This became increasingly frustrating over time because I knew that my identity informed the way I cared for the world, from the cultural traditions passed down by my family to the realities of living in a country built from systemic oppression. I knew even if I wasn't acknowledged that the overwhelmingly white and middle-class identities of my peers, professors, and textbook authors influenced both what they prioritized as the most, quote, urgent issues facing the planet and what solutions they proposed. They often excluded the advocacy of racial equality. The lack of representation of Black, Brown, Indigenous, Asian, low-income, LGBTQ+, disabled, and other marginalized voices has led to an ineffective form of mainstream environmentalism that doesn't truly stand for the liberation for all people and the planet. If it did, environmental injustices outcomes wouldn't be so closely linked to different identity aspects. As we'll explore in this book, from the data, it is evident that social justice and environmentalism are deeply intertwined and that addressing this interconnection is crucial for attaining justice for both people and planet. Again, so much. And you know, as I'm, I don't know, maybe I just got caught up in the climate TikTok all of a sudden, climate activist TikTok, and all of a sudden, I've already been a part of the Black activist TikTok. Um, and when I say Black activists, I'm talking about the Black women who are activists, and you just watch, don't comment, move on, and, you know, that's the engagement. Support, move on. <laughs> but there has been this conversation, and I think I mentioned it earlier, or maybe on another episode, I don't even remember. Everything's blurring <laughs> about this whole doomist idea when it comes mm-hmm. to climate activism. And a majority of young white activists are like, eh, just quit. It's over. And mm-hmm. having this doomsday idea and really harping on the fact that there's nothing else we can do. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the BIPOC activists who are like, wait, wait, wait. And I've seen a lot of indigenous and also indigenous creators who are like, stop, we've been doing this work. Nothing's changed. As in fact, people are hearing more about it. And this is why you feel doomed because we're actually Mm -hmm. listening or we're actually hearing about all the bad things that are happening as opposed to people ignoring it. Now is the time Mm -hmm. to act. We don't need to be backing down. And so many cries about the fact that y'all have been able to ignore it 
Yeah. But those of us who've been in this place, indigenous people who have been chaining themselves to get clean water. We know Flint, Michigan had its own thing and it had a bigger outcry after so long. And it took lawsuit after lawsuit after they'd been living out years off of bottled water, which they cannot afford oftentimes mm-hmm. to finally get any kind of uh conversation happening. And I know, I don't know what's happening somewhere in New Jersey, I think. There's like a group of young children who are now uh, like young adults coming out with brain cancers. And I don't know the linkage to that, but they had something, obviously has something to do with that as well. Uh, type of like environmental crisis up there. There's so many things that are happening that is just now being really spoken about and people are truly mm-hmm. listening. And so those who have not been a part of it are in the doomed, oh my God, this is the worst apocalyptic world. And everybody's like, no. Mm-hmm. The BIPOC community is like, we've been fighting this. Please stop doing that and join. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's also like the frustrating part that we've heard a lot in, in past research we've done of what Thomas says of like having to do this extra work to find people like her in the space, even though, like, yes, people of color are doing a majority right. of that work. It's just they're not being highlighted or talked about right. in educational spaces. And I know uh, we're going to talk about this later, but I do feel like it's complicated, but kind of like simplifying. I feel like Earth Day, as so many other things, or just, you know, environmentalism in general, as so many other things that we talk about, Became co-opted by companies right. and like well-off white people who are like, for this one day, I'm going to recycle this right. and I've done my bit goodbye. I will <laughs> use this to go thing. Um, again, this reminds me of the 30 Rock episode in which NBC slash GE go in and make money off of this idea by selling their products mm-hmm. that will break. And they have Mm -hmm. used, like, they make a joke, like, it'll break in five years, but you'll think you're helping the world. But in actuality, you're about to dump more uh, plastic byproducts because we did. But it was like this joke, but it was real. It was absolutely real in what's happening. We know that when, let's just... And I saw this today. So there is an activist who's been around. She's been on Twitter. She, I think it goes by Crutches and Spice, uh, Imani Barberin, who has been doing this work for disabled communities and climate uh, activism. And someone posted a video, and there's a male white scientist who chained himself to a bank talking about the effects of what they, how much they pay into oil rigs and all of that, oil lines and such, and has kind of come up in popularity, and people are praising him for the work that he's doing, and, and, and you know, and apparently, like, they got arrested by a whole mob of cops because they were scientists standing in front of a door, essentially, disrupting a little bit of business. But and, and it, it's good that he's doing that, and he and his, his uh, fellow scientists scientists are bringing attention to it and talking about who is actually making the money and who is the cause of these problems instead of just, yes, us throwing away plastic is bad, but let's be honest, who is the real effect? And they are praising him and what he's doing and he's doing good work, but ignoring the fact that someone has already, people have been doing this work. And typically, once again, it is the BIPOC women and her name, Amani Barberin, who is Crutches and Spice, I believe, both on TikTok and all of that, who has amazing videos. If y'all haven't, aren't following her, you should. Um, But she talks about this. She's like, hello, we're here. Why do you refuse? And why do you always have to erase us in order Mm -hmm. to get anything done and wait until all these white men stand up and are like, oh, now I have to pay attention. Like, it's so dismissive. And again, he's also ignoring who is being ignored in this situation by, yes, we're talking about like targeting that, but not only are we talking about targeting them because they are doing something bad for the environment, but they've always been bad for the BIPOC community. They've always gone after and taken advantage of the BIPOC community. Again, it kind of comes to line about who is being seen and who isn't and who's being activist. And the BIPOC community saw at the very beginning who was being treated like and who was being taken advantage of and who was doing it. And they've been calling it out from mm-hmm. jump. And it's really interesting because her whole narrative was like, we're so frustrated that this is what we see and this is what it takes for y'all to see and the work years and years of labor that we have put in, y'all easily dismiss. Yes. And Thomas does such a good job of explaining the intersectionality within that of like why uh, for uh, people of color, perhaps such a uh, 
protests like that of chaining yourself to a building or whatever it is is not the safest thing to do. Um, So we have a quote about that. Today, in the largest environmental movements in the U.S. and worldwide, issues of race have been met with hostility, downplayed, questioned, and placed on the back burner. Because environmental justice activists, who are primarily Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and people of color, haven't been given the support from the global environmental community they deserve, we are still fighting for climate justice all these years. And then continues... Did the environmental leaders I follow understand the gravity of risk associated with Black citizens across the world who faced violence for public demonstration? Did they understand the fear that I felt at every protest I've attended since watching nonviolent protesters in Ferguson be beaten, maced, and terrorized, and Black reporters harassed and jailed? This disconnect was isolating. I watched predominantly white environmental protesters chain themselves to buildings, illegally deface property, trespass, and flaunt their arrest on camera during their protests, and I started to wonder, how? When nonviolent protesters are innocent Black, Indigenous, Latinx, and Asian citizens are met with injustice for smaller infractions, such as existing, I had to ask, how privileged must one be to so boldly participate in theatrical protest? Right. And when we've talked about women around the world and environmental activism, we talked about specific countries who were killing people um, mm-hmm. in their activism. And just happening like there that we were getting um, Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch giving us reports about how many people have been dying per year as of this year, as of last year for their activism. Nothing more than calling out the government to say, this is killing your people for money. Right. Why are you doing this? And then they become missing. I know we're going to talk about, she gives more examples of that. And when it comes to the indigenous community, we know many people go missing. We don't know how many, we don't have numbers, and no one will actually talk about the fact that it's become a huge problem, that they are at the most risk. And they are the ones that are trying to to be the loudest to talk about it because no one else will do it for them. Like, there's so many things here that, like, oh, are frustrating. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, again, she does such a good job. Leah does such a great job in having this conversation. She does brings in so many different voices for us to hear what is happening, but she also brings in solutions. And that's the big part that we keep yeah. talking about and that I keep talking about when I say she's done this work. She's done this work. Mm-hmm. So all mm-hmm. we need to do is pick it up and let's act on it. Anyway, Mm -hmm. moving on. I'm going to probably say that (laughs) 10 more times as we keep going. But while this book is an argument for the need for intersectional environmentalism, it's truly my biggest hope that one day in the future, we won't need to preface environmentalism with the word intersectional. I think that's the dream, right? We won't Mm -hmm. need to create separate safe spaces and curriculums that seek to be inclusive. One day, I hope that when people think of environmentalists, they'll automatically envision a person who cares very deeply about both people and planet. I hope that one day, environmental programs will reflect all of the world's people and uplift their stories. Yeah. Yeah, so like as you were saying, it's a very, it's, a hopeful take with solutions and and actionable things you can do on something that is quite dire and unfortunately just has at large been ignored, even though we've had these activists like screaming. Right. This is a huge problem. There is that hopeful, and I hope so too, because it is, it's truly intersectional. And I hope one day it's not like people like Thomas coming up in school have to search out right. uh, people of color in the curriculum. That is just included because it should be. It should be. It should be an automatic. So this is the conversation we continue to have when we say why things like uh, Black History Month is important, why things like Women's History Month is important, uh, AAPI, because if we could just acknowledge it and truly be equal and put on an equitable plane, then yeah, we don't have to have this conversation. And by the way, I know I'm speaking to the choir when I say this. Just because we're ignoring something doesn't mean that it's fixed. Uh, (coughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice throat clear. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. But here's another quote. As we dive into what intersectionality means, it's important to note that this theory stems from the thoughts, experiences, and emotional labor of Black women. It may evolve and take shape in different ways past its original intent, as with environmentalism, but this theory, defined by Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, is rooted in the duality of her experience as both Black and a woman. Any advancement or more broad adoption of intersectional theory should start with the fact it was bred from the Black experience and was developed as a tool to help Black women feel seen, heard, and validated in their everyday lives. And I just think that's so important. You should right. always give credit, trace it back, make sure it's you know. It's not that hard. And that's, here's the other part of this. Again, I'm bringing back to TikTok. I, I'm going to stop, I promise. <laughs> um, but there, there's a few uh, Korean creators that I have followed because they do some really great uh, Korean recipes and easy Korean recipes that I can get on board with. And that's been kind of my venture recently. It's like, getting onto my culture, by food. I have a lot of triggery sensors when it comes to food. I know we've talked about this before, um, but there's been a lot of non-Korean creators, typically white women, who come in and do these dishes that are traditional Korean dishes and then give it a fancy name. Like I think one was like, my awesome uh, addictive cucumber salad was one of them. And it oh, was no. obviously like a cucumber kimchi, which we all know is mm-hmm. a bonchon. Um, and I've had it for years. Even like I still have those memory of those tastes that are like, oh, I know what this is. And then trying to make money off of it because they were influencers and they are like foodie people. And, and they came, they got blasted. They're like, this is a Korean dish. We understand if you want to share it with your people, but at least don't act like you invented this. Don't, don't oh, do yeah. that. Um, and then people coming back to the Korean content, it's like, you're gatekeeping Korean food. Why don't you just let it enjoy? Do you credit all your food? I'm like, well, calling it by its name is giving it credit. End mm-hmm. of story. So I think one of the things were like pizza, and people are like, do you credit the Italians? Like, well, calling it pizza is crediting the origination of this food. So, yeah. So, mm-hmm. do we? Ha- did they want a history lesson? No. But don't whitewash it and say that yeah. it's something you created. Um, and essentially, that's kind of coming back to like the identity of understanding why it's important we credit people with what they are due because the erasure is so easy. And when we erase Mm -hmm. people, then they lose out in being, uh, people lose out in the origination and the origination of content, which is what happens. And then it gets taken over and weaponized. Yeah. Yeah. It's very harmful. (laughs) It's very, very harmful. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to this. So I really appreciated that. Um, Here's another quote from Thomas. Protect and respect their theories, um, their being Black women here, and their profound resiliency. Know that even in their struggle, Black women have given their knowledge to us to grow and advance society. It is an immense privilege to create space for and hold a piece of their magic and legacies every time the word intersectionality is said or written down. So don't use it lightly and please don't dilute its origins. Right. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> we had this conversation with Bridget about the term woke, um, about like that being in critical race theory. They have now been weaponized against people. It, it, and again, like when I said that, and I meant it when I said that, like the origination of woke was created by the black community to kind of give credit to non-black people to understand, oh, you're getting it. You're getting what we're talking about. You're woke. And now it's become a negative taken on by white supremacy saying, oh, that's fake. And it's become this whole thing that, yeah, it is now a negative because people want to use that in such a way and has become harmful and, and become weaponized against the black community so often. And it's kind of like, wow, how did this get flipped on its head so and it is because it's been used so quickly and it was co-opted so quickly by the non-black community that it has become diluted and i hate that i hate that and and to that point intersectionality almost is it hasn't become diluted and it hasn't become quite weaponized but when it comes to turfs when it comes to that it kind of has it has become a whole thing of like mm, again woke culture yeah and I hate yeah. that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so, I, but like that's the thing is that it should be protected. It really should be a conversation. And if we normalize that to what it meant about what it needs to be and what it should be and what it was intended, then it would be a whole different story. And that's where we need to go. And thank you, Leah, for bringing that up and bringing that out. And we're going on with her her quotes. Um, she says, unfortunately, some early feminists had clear biases and chose to act only in their own best interests. And we talked about this before. Disregarding the concerns of women of color and queer women because they felt that these topics weren't related. They didn't care or they thought the inclusion of anti-racism or anti-homophobia would complicate the matter for white feminists. The prevailing attitude was that perhaps... After their own liberation, they would create space for other people and causes, which is the bullshit trickle-down theory in feminism. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's so true, though. She's so right that, like, yep. you wait your turn. You yep. wait your turn, even though, God, we talked about that so much and we could talk about it so much more. Right. But it's just harmful at large because it was just, like, white women, like, I want to work. And then that's it. <laughs> that's it. And they're like, but wait, we can't. Yeah, we've always worked. We want equal help. Yeah, exactly. And Connie, what are you talking about? <laughs> wait a minute. We've always had to work. What? what? Uh, which is hilarious. Yes. But yeah, no, it's the same thing in that this uh, level of conversation. Of course, we talked about the suffragettes and how racist they were and their movement was. It's about us because black men just got the vote. So why should white women? Why shouldn't white women? Right. It's not about black women. Mm -hmm. We don't care about you. You're, you know, all of that conversation mm -hmm. is that same play is that same tone and and let's talk about the fact that we have to make movements palatable which is that whole yeah. centrist idea and yes you know like we've had this conversation of choosing the lesser evil we have to make things palatable to reject men we've talked about this in bad dating we have to make things palatable to talk about anti-supremacist uh, ideas we have to make things palatable to talk about classist ideas like it's such a sad conversation when they have to do that. And it gets so tiresome for those mm -hmm. to always tiptoe and just being able to live. Yeah, to exist. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> and, and we're going on. Critical race theory, CRT, asserts that race is a social construct and that assigning societal values and authority to different races is what upholds systemic inequality. Contrary to polarized interpretations of both CRT and the term identity politics, these theories are rooted in the desire to dismantle unequal power dynamics. Um, oh, my God. I just want that <laughs> to be on a giant like billboard just so they understand what CRT is. And A, yeah. it's not taught. Get over yourself. History is taught <laughs> with some conversations of what small things happen in history, not the big things, and y'all want to ignore that. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. and when I say y'all, I'm talking about the people who want to talk about CRT as CRT as if we're talking about a, a propaganda, <laughs> which is not yeah. at all what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's such a hot-button issue right now. We wanted to include that quote. And she does go in, in more detail yeah. into it. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. As you said in a recent episode, the whole education system right now is just a 
hotbed of fury. <laughs> <laughs> that is, those are your words. I don't think I said that. That's good, though. I like that. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say we co-signed on it. Okay, okay. Um, uh, another very important theme in this book is ecofeminism. Uh, so here's a quote. The exploration of the feminine in connection with nature dates back centuries to early philosophical, spiritual, or religious contexts and creation theories. In Greek mythology, Gaia, or Gaia, is seen as the first mother goddess and a personification of Earth. Before her, there was just chaos. Other cultures have their own versions of Earth goddesses as well. I just love this, like, history bit that she yeah. adds in. I love all of this, like, context that's there that, again, she does so quickly. Like, she, she accomplishes so much. She does. Her post went viral because she knew what she was saying and she said it in such a nuanced way that it was quick and, and like understandable and relatable. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. Okay, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And she does, yeah, I also like that because we've talked about the history of the goddess and, and the matriarch and how important it used to be once upon a time and how it got flipped when it came to power or money. Mm-hmm. Whole different conversation. Yeah, and, and going on about ecofeminism, she says, ecofeminism is both a philosophy and a movement that exposes the dual oppressions of women and the environment as rooted in patriarchal structures. It is a movement and sees a connection between the exploitation and degradation of the natural world and the subordination and oppression of women, writes Mary Mailer in Feminism and Ecology. Ecofeminists argue that the treatment of women in society is a likely indicator of the treatment of the earth and vice versa, that because we live in a capitalist and patriarchal or male-centered society, the oppression of women and the destruction of nature are a natural consequence. Ha! Huh, that's a big statement. Yeah. And we've talked about that before, too, um, in a lot, a wide variety of yeah. topics. I feel like we just talked about that in, of Women in Salt in our last book club. Kind of mm-hmm. like that nature and women and, and her like really defending the land type of thing and understanding yeah. the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and depressingly enough, we also talked about it in like why women recycle more. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, here's another quote. Ecofeminism was born out of the feminist and environmental movements of the 1970s and 80s, but many credit Yanestra King, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, for popularizing the term with her 1987 Nation article, What is Ecofeminism? In this article, King asked readers to look inward and evaluate how their belief systems, as informed by society, contributed to the negative treatment of both women and the environment. This piece led to widespread awareness of the concept. Right. And we definitely talked mm-hmm. about this in the the feminism of environmental activism and like women in recycling. Because, yeah, for some reason, caring about the environment is girly. <laughs> yeah, unless you're doing it to like hunt things. Right. And then that's manly. Yeah. But it's weird. It's it's like, again, I don't know why we have to gender every freaking thing. Right. But we do. <laughs> I mean, the only places that you don't see it gendered is the indigenous people. Like, they are the ones who really don't. They understand the mm-hmm. level and the following suit. Like, they understand how detrimental it is thinking it that way. Of course, the native and indigenous communities, I think, have a better hold on feminism, <laughs> honestly. Mm. In some ways. <laughs> so that's a whole different conversation in itself. Um, and, and and Thomas continues, there are interlocking systems of oppression when it comes to feminism. Without an intersectional approach, BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and other underrepresented women may be left out, erased, not advocated for within Western interpretations of ecofeminism. Cultural ecofeminist beliefs are deeply rooted in biology and gender roles, which can lead to the invalidation and exclusion of non-binary, trans, and queer people from ecofeminism. This is why to truly stand for justice for all and the planet, ecofeminism must also be intersectional. Many practitioners do have an intersectional approach, whether they classify it as that or not. While ecofeminism was advanced by women of color like Vandana Shiva, my experience as a student and an activist is that it has often lacked representation of Black, Latinx, Indigenous, and Asian perspective. At times, I have also witnessed ecofeminists appropriate Eastern religious and Indigenous traditions without proper credit, acknowledgement, or representation. It's important to make strides to be inclusive of all women and not just their ancestral theories, religious practices, and beliefs. And oh my God, that's kind of where I was coming with that food TikTok is that it is a disrespect of these beliefs and you want to hone in and capitalize on something and take away from someone else. Um, 
appropriation versus appreciation are two different things, and it needs to be acknowledged that we want to normalize different cultural ideas. That's a thing. I know that's kind of that when I had kimchi in my my adoptive parents tried to allow that for me to have as to normalize into a new world, but it smelled of the kitchen and everybody complained about it. All my siblings did, and I never saw it again. And so I became ashamed of eating kimchi. Like that was like, oh God, I can't like it because my white siblings don't like it. So having that shame factor and then coming in and seeing like, oh, look guys, we're bringing the new fad of kimchi and acting like they invented it is so insulting and triggering for a lot of people who are refugees and immigrants coming into a country trying to acclimate, but being told they don't belong. Like there are so many levels to that. And it comes to the same thing with the religious practices and beliefs, like understanding. It took me a long time and I, I've never saged anything. But before I did, I did read about it and I was like, oh, this is not appropriate. I can't do this. And then, you know, holding off without it and, and seeing the actual practices, like I believe burying it is something seen as respectful because it is important of why we need to respect this. To truly understand and appreciate, you need to understand and respect the traditions as is. And if you're being called out, follow through with what they're calling you out on. Yeah. And I think to everything you just said, that there's just, there's an environmental impact to all that stuff. So like right. the sage, for example, um, when people were people who didn't do their research and were just doing it, there right. was an environmental impact that harmed exactly. the people who that is their culture and their tradition and their history. Right. Um, so it's just, you can't separate out the environmental bit of all of this. Right. So that's why I think this book is so perfect and timely and necessary. <laughs> it is. And I absolutely agree. Like, it wasn't until social media and me digging that we got to acknowledge who has been at front and center. And it has been the indigenous community that I've seen that's been front and center, especially in the U.S. And of course, in the, in, in the black community who's been a part of this, but seeing where they are and how long they've been working and the conversations because it's truly impacted. Like Their lands have been taken away and poisoned, essentially, because we were not able to see that and feminists were not acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this brings us to the intersectional environmentalism uh, kind of definition chapter of the book. <laughs> so here's a quote. I define intersectional environmentalism, i.e., as an inclusive approach to environmentalism that advocates for the protection of both people and the planet, i.e., argues that social and environmental justice are intertwined and that environmental advocacy that disregards this connection is harmful and incomplete, i.e., focuses on achieving climate justice, amplifying historically excluded voices, and approaching environmental education, policy, and activism with equity, inclusion, and restorative justice in mind. And I just think that's so... That's so important. I love the like people and planet. You cannot right. separate. We have right. to be inclusive. We have to have these things in mind or else it's not working. Right. And continuing along, IE is informed by intersectional approaches to ecofeminism, but also explores additional intersections of overlapping identities like religion, race, sexuality, age, ability, and class. Intersectional environmentalism acknowledges how social justice and environmentalism are intrinsically linked and how both must be considered to achieve environmental justice. And yeah, that's that part. It's that justice part. Yep, yep. Um, and here's one more quote to finish out part one. IE also aims to create space for more complete and inclusive retelling of environmental or natural history, one that embraces all cultural contributors to sustainability and environmentalism. Many indigenous peoples worldwide have been better protectors and carers of the planet for thousands of years. Colonization and industrialization rooted in capitalism or direct attacks on both people and planet and are responsible for the climate crisis we are in. It is more important now than ever that we validate indigenous wisdom, credit its origins, infuse it into environmental education, and fully embrace different cultural values that exist as the blueprint to what is now known as sustainability well before that terminology existed. Right, and now has been co-opted by corporations, as you had said. <laughs> yep. Yes. No, I think that's, that's one of the things that's so frustrating because, again, like, definitely personal responsibility look up these activists look up the history do what you can but ultimately these companies are the ones 
Right. That are really making the biggest impact. And then they're like, here's our sustainable bottle. If you don't use it, then that's on you. Right. And how sustainable is that bottle? Really? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it comes down to who is doing what, what policies are being allowed. And you know what? The policies are really lenient for corporations. We know this. Yes, they are. It's incredibly uh. frustrating. But yeah, there's there's also that like ex- accessibility and price point that I think is so right. important to always bring up. But yes, clearly we have a lot to say about this book. If you haven't picked it up, go pick it up. It's really, really just such a good read and so informative. Uh, but we do have a part two. This is the end of part one, but we yeah. got a part two coming. So if you haven't gotten the book, now you can go get yes. it, read this part, and then catch up with us so you can talk, mm-hmm. hear what we're talking about and you'll be like, yeah, I, I read that part and loved it too because that's my favorite yeah. part to do this. We can have like a, a virtual, you'll be <laughs> sitting around like, yes, and here yes, are my yes. thoughts. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and if you have those thoughts and you want to send them to us, yes. we would love to get them. You can email us at Stephanie and MomStuff at iHeartMedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Steph Mom Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stop Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.